Today's scripture comes from Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. You can find it in your bulletin or open your Bible. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. Well, good morning, Lake Baldwin Church. You know, being a pastor is not like being a football coach. You know, when uh, Andy Reid, who is the coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, when he is uh, instructing Patrick Mahomes, his star quarterback, to stay in the pocket, stay in the pocket, keep your eyes downfield, and make that throw, even though he's one millisecond away from being crushed by a 300-pound lineman, guess what? Andy Reid does not have to stay in there and take the hit. He doesn't have to stay in there and take the hit. He doesn't have to play the game at all. And so pastors, yes, there are some similarities with coaches, but pastors can't be like coaches. We have to be in the game too. And I would suggest this. You guys are not spectators to the game also. You guys are in the game as well, the game of being under God's word. And this morning, when we come to God's word, there's, there's some difficult words here to receive for all of us, but it's a reminder that we are all under the authority of God's word. None of us sits above it. None of us is in critique of it, because to do so would be to critique God himself, to question God himself. Well, last week, uh, Eric unpacked for us how the great gospel truths of our union with Christ, how that really transforms us as people. Now this week, we're gonna see how those same truths are gonna impact. They're gonna transform our relationships, our relationships. And that is our relationships as husbands and wives, our relationships within our families and our relationships at work. Now, we are at that point in Colossians where we have been studying a lot of truths, indicatives, but those truths have rapidly become imperatives. Those are commands, right? 
Those truths are getting really personal and close in. Some would say that Paul has gone from preaching to meddling, and it may feel a little bit like that this morning as we unpack the scriptures, but it's a reminder that these scriptures are for all of us. We're all to be in the game. Now, a quick note on context before I jump into these relationships. I want us to just keep this in mind that Paul has been speaking to Christians. He's speaking to people who are in the family of God. We just have to look at the prior verses and see that he's talking to those who have died with Christ, those who are raised with him, those who are seated with him. It's the household of God. It's this family that he is talking to. And so when we take the principles this morning and we try to apply them outside of the family of God, we have to do so carefully we have to do so carefully and with caution. And, and we will be doing that this morning a little bit. But for example, Scripture is not saying here that all women are in submission to men. It's talking to wives. And so Scripture is not saying that we can't have women bosses or a woman CEO or a woman president. That would be to take this and misapply the scriptural principles. And so let's look at how the gospel truth, how Jesus himself transforms our marriages. We see this in verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now I think as society, as Christians, in fact, we get into a lot of trouble when we begin to equate our roles our responsibilities with our worth, with our value, with our significance. And it's unfortunate, actually, because society has been teaching us, has been ingraining in our hearts that what we do, our role that we play in society, dictates our value, right? We believe that the CEO is somehow worth more than the hourly worker. The free man is more significant than the slave. The rich person is more significant than the poor. And history has this horrible testimony that men are more of worth and of value than women. We have been deceived when we let society dictate this fact that that somehow our roles and responsibilities say something about our value and not let Not let God himself in his word define our value apart from our roles. And so we'll see that right from the beginning of creation in Genesis 1.27, this is what God says to us. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. From the very beginning, our value and our worth as human beings, as male and female, God defines it, and he says, you have dignity because you are created in my image. You are of equal value. And the apostle Paul, later on in in, in Genesis, sorry, in Galatians 3.28, he's going to extend this idea and add to it. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in 
Christ. Now, he is not saying that those distinctions, they don't exist anymore. Of course they do. But what he is saying is in the family of God, we are joined together in this body and we are one. And our primary identity, our primary identity is being in Christ, more so than being a male or a female. In fact, what is happening in the church, in the body of Christ, is Christ is redeeming us as images of God. And so if you're still struggling this morning with equating your value with your role, consider the Godhead. Consider the Trinity. In the plan of redemption, we see different roles. We see the Father is the one who is making the plan, devising the plan. And then it is the Son who executes or implements the plan, and it is the Spirit who applies the work of Jesus. And you see that Jesus himself is in submission to the Father's will, to the Father's plan. Does it make Jesus inferior to God? Of course not. He has a different role to play. He has a different role to play. And so if we see in the community of the Trinity different roles, how much more would we see it within the community of God's people? God has given us these different roles not to hold us back. In fact, he's given us these different roles for our flourishing. So let's look at at the admonition to wives. Wives are to submit or to be subject to their husbands, but it is not a blind or unqualified submission. The scripture says, as is fitting in the Lord. And in fact, if you, if you dissect this passage and you look at the ones who are under authority, you look at the wives, you look at the children, you look at the slaves, Paul is reminding each of them of the lordship of Jesus. He is reminding them that Jesus is the one who is in heaven. He is the ultimate Lord over everything. Therefore, wives, you can submit to your husbands. Why? Because there is a greater Lord that you are serving. And so when he says to children, obey, he says to children, obey. Why? Because it pleases the Lord. He doesn't refer to dad or mom. And when he talks to slaves, he says you can obey why? Because it is the Lord Jesus whom you are serving. And so wives are to submit with this perspective that Jesus is the ultimate Lord of the universe. But also that word fitting, anako, means that which is appropriate and that which is right. So you submit wives in a way that is right, in a way that is fitting with the Lord, fitting with the Lord. And so in a Christian marriage, where man and, and husband and wife are, are one in the Lord, what is fitting is, is living in such a way that befits the character, the ethic, and the word of Jesus. If we just want to know a little bit of what that looks like, the, the Apostle Paul, last week in Eric's sermon, he gave us those, those words what does it look like? It looks like putting on humility, putting on compassion and kindness and forgiveness. That's what it means to be fitting in the Lord. So, for example, if your husband 
is mistreating you, if he is abusing you physically, if he's abusing you emotionally, mentally, Scripture is not calling you to blindly submit to that. That is not fitting in the Lord. In fact, you may know this, in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, there are, there's a parallel passage where the Apostle Paul is talking to that same group of people, marriages, family, masters and slaves. And when he talks about what it means to be in the Lord together, he talks about this idea of mutual submission. You are subject to one another. And so the husband and wife, they're to think of themselves as being in the Lord as brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. And so wives, be subject to your husband, which means be humble, be forgiving, be kind, be compassionate. God has put you in his life to be his helpmate, helpmate. And so when your husband is leading you, when he's leading you and he's making decisions and you're seeing that it could be destructive to you or to your family or even to himself, be his good helpmate. Come alongside him and help him with this. Give your perspective. In fact, Men would do good. Society would do good. History would have done better if we would have listened to our wives. You know, there was uh, uh, an incident a couple weeks ago that happened in our marriage um, where Debbie was trying to explain to me how she wanted something done. And, and I, quickly, I quickly dismissed her. And I said, no, 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 this, this, is, how, this is how I want it to be, to be done. And that was the end of it. That was the end of it. God has put me in a position of authority and power, and you know what happened in that situation? I misused my power. I misused my authority. You know, I've learned it's taken over 30 years to listen well to Debbie, uh, and, and, and through our uh, marriage, we have, we have purchased four houses. This is our fourth house here in Orlando, and uh, I've, I've begun to learn that um, I need to listen to Debbie. Actually, she knows better which house we ought to buy. And this is how it goes when we look at houses. We'll go into a house, and I'll rush through the house. I'll be done like in five, five or six minutes, and I'll have seen the whole thing, and I'm ready to make a decision. And Debbie's still right there in the family room, <laughs> the very first room. And she's like, there's all sorts of things going on in her head. She is imagining how everything fits together. Every single piece of furniture. Where's the piano going to go? Where's the couch going to go? And everything like that. And it's like, you know what? She's right. I need to listen. She, she's trying to figure out if this is going to work for our house. And I need to listen to her. I need to listen to her. Well, men in society have abused their position, their power throughout all history. Men in the church have abused these verses. It says women, it says wives submit to husbands, but it does not say men subjugate, subdue, put your wives into submission. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say husbands control your wives. It doesn't say that. It's not not telling us to conquer and control, to force our wives into submission. We don't ever get that command, do we? But often that is what we see happening in the household, and that is not fitting 
in the Lord. That is not putting on the clothes that Christ has already put on us, humility and compassion. Well, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And I'll refer again to that parallel passage in Ephesians where the Apostle Paul unpacks more of this idea of what does it look like to love your wives. And he says in Ephesians 5.25, husbands, hear this, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Every husband that hears these words should be repenting in their heart because none of us love our wives as we have been loved like Christ. Christ has loved us sacrificially at great cost to himself, selfless. He gave himself up for her. We're to give ourselves up for our wives. What's the opposite of that? Going into the marriage relationship as a man looking for what you can get rather than what you can give. That's a selfish type of love. It's actually not love at all. And so, husbands, you are to care for all her needs, physical, emotional, and spiritual. You're supposed to expend yourself, pour yourself into her so that she flourishes so that she comes to life, so that there is life, there is vitality. You are to die to yourself so that she comes to beautiful life. And so whose dreams, whose desires, whose needs, whose goals are more important? Are you considering hers above your own? You know, we look at Jesus and we see Jesus in power, Jesus in authority. How did he use it? He used it to redeem, to rescue the church, to rescue us, to make us beautiful. He did that so that God's people would flourish. You may be here this morning as a husband and you're thinking to yourself, Brian, you have not met my wife. She is fill in the blank. I'm sure we could put a lot of things in there. She's too emotional. She's not rational. She nags me. Look what she's doing with the kids. And I want to remind you about how Jesus loves us. We need to take a deep look in the mirror at who we are. And that Jesus set his love upon us. It wasn't based on the way we responded. It wasn't based on our good behavior and who we are. He gave us grace. He, he, he put his favor upon us as husbands, if you are in Christ, unreservedly, an extravagant love poured out on you who are undeserving. That's the type of radical love that he's calling husbands to for their wives. And so, husband, are you creating that environment for your wife to flourish in her faith, to grow healthy emotionally, to care for all her needs? Or are you looking out 
for your own needs and your own desires? Are you abusing your position? Are you controlling her? Are you subduing her, trying to get her to do things your way, just like I did to Debbie? Aiden W. Tozer, A.W. Tozer. Some of you know him. He's a, he's a famous pastor and author. He has since passed away, and he was married. His wife got remarried after he passed away. She married a guy named Leonard. And when asked about his, her late husband, Aiden, this is what she says. Aiden loved Jesus Christ, but Leonard loved me. Leonard loves me. Ouch. I mean, this is hard to hear. This is really hard to hear. Men, are you dying to yourself so that your life, your wife can flourish? We deny the faith. We deny the love that we have received as sinners when we don't extend that grace and love to our wives. Let's look now at how these gospel truths transform our family in verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I want to speak to children. Yes, you are supposed to obey your parents. This is God's design, and God's design is a good design. It is meant for the flourishing of the family and it's also meant for the flourishing of society. When you have a family where the children are in control, where, you're, where it's being run by three and four-year-olds, that family is being destroyed, and it's also destroying society at the same time because those children are growing up without a fear of the Lord, without a fear of any authority. Children, you are to obey your parents. And if we couple this with the fifth commandment, to honor your father and mother, we're going to see that the fullness of what God desires from children is not only their actions, but their hearts as well, the attitude, everything about them in submission to their parents, not to hold them back, but for their flourishing, for their good, and for the good of society. And now parents... Parents, and I'm going to include moms in this. Paul is speaking to fathers as the head of the family, and so this can go to moms as well. Our tendency is we are in a position of power, aren't we, over our kids. Our tendency is to provoke our children. That word means to stir up. And so by our words and our actions, we stir them up to resentment, to discouragement, to anger. Our particular sin is that we crush the spirit of our kids. And we do this by being overbearing, unreasonable with our expectations, not bearing with their weakness as children. They're smaller. They don't have the wisdom and life experience that we have. They don't have the knowledge that we have. We stir up discouragement in them when we don't take the time to stoop to their level and find out what is going on. When we say for them to do something, they ask why, and you say because, and it ends there. 
What we're saying is because I am in authority over you, I am bigger than you. God put me in control, and that's how we wield our power. No, that's not how we wield our power. That's to misuse our power. That's not to be gentle. That's not to be forgiving. That's not to be kind and compassionate. That's how we stir them up to resentment. You know, I, I uh, recently finished reading The Yearling. Uh, Marjorie Kinnon Rawlings is a, a Florida author. She won the Pulitzer Prize for writing this book, The Yearling. Uh, and she wrote it about a place in Central Florida. And the book really focuses on the relationship between a father and a son. The father, Penny Baxter, and the son, Jody Baxter. And the book starts out in an amazing way. The son, Jody, is in the field and he is hoeing away, doing his chores. And then he sees a bee. And he gets distracted and he's thinking to himself, I'm going to go and follow that bee into the woods and find that bee tree and get that honey for mom and dad. They're going to be so happy. And so he wanders away into the woods and forgets about the bee and he starts playing and he ends up besides a stream and he builds a little uh, water wheel and then he falls asleep and all sorts of things. His father's away on a trip. And then what happens? Well, he wakes up and decides, well, I better get back home and get to those chores and he's hoping to get there before dad shows up. And when he gets there, dad is already there. What's dad doing? He's, dad is doing his chores. Uh-oh. And his dad asks him, he says, you know, I almost gave up on you. What, did you, what were you doing? And, and, and Jody has to think to himself, what was I doing? Oh, yeah, there was this bee. And there's this bee tree I was going to go and, and find. I was going to get this honey. And then his father says, you find it? Jody stared blankly. Dogged if I ain't forgot till now to look for it. He felt as foolish as a bird dog caught chasing field mice. He looked at his father sheepishly. His father's pale blue eyes were twinkling. Tell the truth, Jody, he said, and shame the devil. Wasn't it the bee tree a fine excuse to go a-rambling? Jody grinned. The notion taken me, he admitted. And this is what his father says next. He begins to tell Jody, you know, I was coming back and I was looking forward to seeing you and I was thinking about you. This is what I was thinking. There's Jody now. He's a hoeing and, and, and going to take him. It's not going to take him too long. What would I do? This fine spring day was I a boy. And then I thought, I'd go a rambling. I'd go a rambling. He's telling his son what he would have done when, if he was a boy. And then what happens? A warmth filled the boy that was not the low golden sun. Parents, are you parenting your children with that twinkle in your eye? Are you parenting them and filling them with a warmth that is not, that is actually greater than the low golden sun? Do you see how he is gentle with him? But do you see also how he, he actually caused him to confess and tell the truth and to shame the devil? Are you trying to beat the truth out of your children? Are you encouraging them to shame the devil? You know, it's a, it's a wonderful book. Throughout, there's so many illustrations of how his father is treating 
this boy Jody with grace as he parents him. But in the end, he is gonna stir up in that son a fierce, a fierce anger and resentment. And you're gonna have to read the book to find out why. But he does it out of love. Well, let's look lastly, and we're gonna look quickly at how the gospel transforms our work relationships. And here, I wanna talk about this issue of masters and slaves. You saw on the screen that uh, in the ESV, it uses the word bondservant. Uh, Probably ought to be used the word slave there. Uh, And part of the problem with us is we come to that word with all of our preconceived understanding of slavery, right? We come to it with an understanding of what happened in the American South in the 19th century. And yes, there are some similarities with what was happening in the Roman world, but there are some distinctions we ought to be aware of. Slaves were not always slaves for life. Slaves could, could get their freedom. They could become Roman citizens with rights. Slaves could, could, could prosper as slaves. And it was not solely focused on race. In society, in Roman society, they say that upwards of 30%, I've actually seen some commentators say up to 50% of the people were in slavery. So they were in your house, they were in in businesses, they were in the government, they were part of society. And so when we come to the scripture here, Paul, by addressing it, he is not giving his approval to it, to this evil institution. I'm going to remind you of 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 10, where Paul condemns slave traders. Paul condemns those who enslave others. And even more so, I think what's interesting, if you consider the letter of Philemon in in the Bible. Why is this letter important? It's actually closely related to the letter of the Colossians because Philemon was a prominent slave owner in the Colossian church. And Paul wrote this letter in order to talk about his runaway slave, Onesimus. And how does he deal with this household in the Colossian church? He says to Philemon, receive him as a brother. Now, you want to talk about a way in in, in the household of God to subvert an evil institution. Tell Tell the Christian slave owner to treat their slave like a brother. And that undoes everything about that institution. Well, I want to say that Paul is not condoning slavery. He's actually redeeming it within the body of Christ. And so I want to jump quickly and make application to our modern world, okay? And it's to employers and employees, And yes, there is an application here that I think we can make even outside of the household of God because there are structures of authority in society that we can derive some principles from. And so employees, we are to work as if Jesus the Lord is our boss because in fact, he is. He is the CEO of your CEO. He is your boss's 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 boss. And what would it look like for you to work heartily unto Jesus, knowing that Jesus sees everything that you're doing or maybe what you're not doing? What would it look like? You know, in my day, uh, and I think things are changing with uh, remote work and flex hours and whatnot, but uh, there was this behavior that happened in the workplace, and, and maybe you can relate to this. 
is that, is that the employees would never leave before the boss, right? I mean, that, that was taboo. Why, why, would you, why would you stay there even when, it was a bummer when the boss stayed late, right? I mean, why would you stay there? Why? Because it's eye service. You are, you are trying to please him or her. But scripture is saying, no, you have a greater Lord than that. You're to please the Lord Jesus. And so are you discrediting your faith in the workplace, maybe because of your laziness on one hand, or because your unbridled ambition, your selfish ambition on the other hand, striving for recognition for yourself? What would it look like in the workplace if Christians were working in such a way to make all of the people around them look better, achieve? What would it look like, God forbid, for the Christian in the workplace to work in such a way that their boss looks better, that their boss succeeds and meets their goals? And bosses, you're to treat your workers with justice and to treat them fairly. This is, the, this is the particular sin of those who are in authority. We are prone to mistreat, to misuse our position, to take advantage of those whom we are to take care of. We often don't treat them fairly. We're to treat them, Scripture says, knowing that we have a master who is in heaven. And actually, that master, if you are in the Lord Jesus he doesn't treat us justly. He treats us with grace. What would it look like for the Christian boss to treat those around them with grace? What would it look like not to treat them as a human resource to further some agenda, but to treat them as humans? to work in such a way that they flourish, that they achieve their goals, that they succeed. Well, as I close this message, and I consider myself, uh, this was a really hard message for me because I, I realize I fail as a husband. I failed as a child. I failed as a father. I failed as an employer. I haven't failed as an employee. I've, I've failed in so many ways. And if we look at Christian history, we look at the church, there are marriages strewn left and right, battered and abused spouses, children who are scarred for life, leaders who are abusing their position. And so I need more of Jesus. We all need more of Jesus because Jesus is the one who shows us how and he is the one who gives us the power to transform all of our relationships. And I want to remind you of when we started out the book of Colossians in chapter one, we saw that Jesus is the preeminent Lord of the entire universe. He created everything. He holds everything together. He is the firstborn of creation. He has all of the rights of the firstborn. He is the master and commander of the universe. And how does this master use his authority, his position, his power? Well, we see the master of the universe becoming a slave taking the very lowest position, girding himself with a towel and washing the feet of the disciples. 
Jesus used his power. He used his position to serve. He used his power to love. His love held him to the cross for our sakes. And we learned last week from Eric's sermon that we can put on, we can grow into the clothes that Jesus has already put upon us. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit Spirit fills us and gives us the power to transform all of our relationships. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, forgive us, all of us who find ourselves in positions of power, we do not know how to wield that well. Lord, we look at the Son and see that he used his power to set his extravagant love upon us, broken people, defiant people, stained sinners. And Lord, we are grateful that for that kind of love. May that love stir up in us a desire to bring this love into all of our relationships. May we put on Jesus, the new creation in him, kindness, humility, gentleness, compassion, and forgiveness. And we ask this in his name. Amen.